Welcome to the My Baby Craniosacral Podcast, where I share stories of the babies I've treated, tips for professionals and parents, and demystify this amazing healing modality. I'm Megan Beams, your baby bodywork mentor. I'm obsessed with all things birth, babies, healing, and plain old being a human. Join me while I sink deep into craniosacral therapy. Also, hit subscribe so you never miss a thing. Now let's get into the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the My Baby Craniosacral Podcast. I am your host, Megan Beams, and today we are talking about birth on the infant body. Now, as a craniosacral therapist for infants, it is incredibly important to know the birth story. Not only the birth story, but also the pregnancy, because in there can give you some tips on what might be going on for this baby and how we can help them. So in my sessions with my clients, I'm, I'm always asking what their birth was like, you know, what their pregnancy was like, and also what their experience after pregnancy and birth have been like, so that I can really do some digging, <laughs> use my detective skills and figure out what's happening for this baby. Because sometimes it might just be one little thing that someone says that I'm like, oh, that's what's going on with this baby. I know where to treat. So I've pretty much over the last four years and probably over 600 birth stories that I've listened to, I'm pretty good at figuring out what's going on. Now, whether I know what's going on and whether I'm actually going to be able to to help them in that one session is a different story, but I like to know what's going on so that I can give my parents a sense of how many sessions they're going to see me for. So I've also gotten to really know birth stories <laughs> and how birth can affect a baby. So in this episode, we are going to talk about the positioning of a baby in utero, whether it's a good or a bad one and what that might do to their body. Then we're going to talk about movements in labor for baby, whether they're able to complete their instinctive movements to get themselves born. And then with the maternal pelvis and maternal movements, right, they still have those same instinctive movements to help that baby descend into the canal. It's just whether or not they're able to, right? And then if they are unable to, then we might get into some obstetrical interventions, and these can have a lasting effect on a baby's body. So first up, we're going to get into positioning of that baby in utero. So we've got good and we've got bad and we've got in the middle. (laughs) Preferably, a baby is going to be in a good position for the duration of their gestational period, but also for their labor and delivery. Now, a baby can be in a good position for gestation, but then switch into a bad position for labor. That is no bueno. And the opposite could also be true. A baby might be in a poor position for gestation and then a good position for labor and delivery. So, you know, there's a lot of in-between here, a lot of gray area and a lot of, obviously, everyone has their own experience. So this is not black or white. This is not what happens in every pregnancy and birth. This is a general understanding of. So let's get to the movement of the maternal pelvis. So if a person 
has the ability to move their pelvis in many different ways. And, and that being, you know, when they walk, they don't have pain on one side, right? Pain on one side in their low back can be pretty indicative of restrictions in their hip or in one side of their hip. And that's going to be a lack of movement in the maternal pelvis. So if someone says, oh, I had low back pain on the right, you know that their pelvis was likely in a fixated state and that baby was not likely in a really great position. We're going to get a little bit more into that after, but I just want to set the stage for what the baby's movements are going to be like so that we can understand when things go wrong. So the more movement that we have in that maternal pelvis, the more movement the baby has, right? There are two people in this game of birth. And so one depends on the other, depends on the other, right? So they both depend on each other for the amount of movement that they have in order for this natural flow of instinctive movements to work progressively and allow that baby to get born easily. So if there is more maternal movement, then there's a less of a chance that that baby's going to get stuck in a poor position. So more movement for maternal pelvis equals more movement for baby equals usually a better position and a smoother labor. And like I said before, birth is a natural process. When all things line up just right, humans are designed to give birth. There wouldn't be 8 billion people in the world if we weren't. Yeah, that's right. We have now reached 8 billion people. Wow. That's a lot of birth stories. <laughs> I probably won't hear them all, but I'm going to hear a few of them. I'm definitely going to hear probably a few thousand more in my lifetime. So that brings me to the not so good positions. Because in my practice, the babies that I usually see are the ones who had a tough delivery or who spent a lot of time in the NICU. So that's also a tough delivery, right? That's that's also not a really great time for baby. And I also see the babies who were forceps or vacuum or C-section, or they needed to have a CPAP because they needed resuscitation, or they had shoulder dystocia, or they didn't breathe right away, or they had meconium, or all of these things. A lot of times, these are the things that bring babies in to get body work because their labor and delivery is still being held within their body. Okay, so the not-so-good positioning in utero. This can be attributed to the symmetry of the maternal pelvis. So as I said earlier, if, if someone has fixation in their pelvis, that can make an asymmetrical maternal pelvis. So these could be scars, so scar tissue, surgeries, which, you know, equal scar tissue, injuries, car accidents, repetitive strain. So people who were snowboarders or figure skaters who fell on their bums a lot or on their sides, this can all cause fixation of the pelvis. And now fixation of the pelvis, especially when this pelvis is asymmetrical, that's going to lean the baby off to one side. And if they're leaning to one side, their body can shift and twist and it can cause torticollis within the body, within utero. So these babies are forming gestationally with torticollis already. And if they have torticollis now, they could also already have signs of plagiocephaly, brachycephaly, scaphocephaly, 
dolicocephaly, which is breech head, and this can all start in utero due to the maternal pelvis asymmetries. So breech is a sign of fixation of the maternal pelvis or within the tissues and area in the lower pelvic area. So the baby is like, "Mm, there's not a whole lot of movement down here or room for me. So I'm going to go up here where there's a lot more room, which isn't always necessarily true. So if you don't know, the pelvic floor muscles are very pillowy and they are not just like an actual floor that is flat, right? They're big, they're puffy. They go up into the abdominal cave, right? But if they're tight and they're restricted, or if there's fascial restrictions or scars or surgeries, then those muscles and all of the fascia and ligaments around there, it can become so tight that the baby can't even turn around and have their head down there. So they'll turn their heads up and they'll be in that breech position. There are lots of other reasons why a baby might be in breech, but you know, for this podcast episode, we're just going to speak on this one per se. So those fascial restrictions within the maternal body are going to then put this baby into breech position. But I always find that babies in breech position, they get fascial restrictions of their own around vertebrae in their low spine. And this can start really early on. And I've seen it even with babies who were in breech position for like, I don't know, a couple of weeks. If you slept on the couch for a couple of weeks in the wrong position, tell me your neck wouldn't hurt for a while. You know what I'm saying? And these babies, they're so gooey and doughy and in the formative stages of being a fetus (laughs) that when they are growing and developing in this way, their bones and their fascia are really susceptible to shifting out of place or not growing in an optimal way due to restriction of movement or restriction of space, really. And these babies, a lot of times they come out in pain. They might have even been developing in pain in utero, right? If you've got any nerve impingement, that can cause a lot of pain. And I also find that these babies have a lot of gas. They have a lot of grunting and they're red-faced before they poop. And they also strain really hard when they're trying to poop because of those fascial restrictions around vertebrae in their spine. So I know that we're talking about birth on the infant body, but we got to talk about what happens in utero before they're even born that can have an effect on them outside. And these breech babies, a lot of times are born cesarean because breech is not seen as another form of normal birth, but it is. And so they are brought into cesarean births. And then these babies are again, having a hard time after due to having a cesarean birth. Now, I'm going to have another podcast episode all about cesarean birth. So this is all vaginal birth. This is not cesarean birth. We're going to have a whole episode on that. Okay, let me get back to it. Okay. (laughs) So that activity level of the person who is carrying this baby within them, that can have a huge effect on their position right? So fetal engagement in the maternal pelvis, right? If it's either early engagement or late engagement, that can play a huge role in how they get born. So if 
this person does not move a lot and they're in a seated position. Let's say they they sit for work at a computer desk, right? And they're or lately they've been sitting at their kitchen table on a dining room chair. Their hips are rotated posteriorly, and what that does is it shifts the baby so that the back of the baby's head rests up against the maternal sacrum. This is also known as the occiput posterior position or the sunny side up position. So depending on how early this baby was in this position, that's going to really affect how they feed when they are born, after they're born, because of cranial nerve impingement. And I'll get into that a little bit after. But if this baby had a lot of movement in that maternal pelvis and they were not in OP position, then they wouldn't have this compression of the back of their head against the sacrum of the maternal sacrum. Hey there, I want to say thank you for listening to and enjoying this podcast. I've been working hard on this podcast for over two years now, and I am incredibly grateful for your support. It's what brings me back to the mic to share this incredibly important work. So I want to share my appreciation for you. One very lucky listener will receive a full scholarship to our CST Foundations course. That's right. Train with us for free. All you need to do is rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Take a screenshot of your review and then share it on social media. Don't forget to tag us in order to have your name put into the draw. Thanks again for your support and I hope to see you out there. Now, late engagement, maybe they were OP, but they weren't really engaged into the birth canal or really deep into the pelvis. Maybe they were pretty far up into the abdomen. And so they weren't really pushed down against the sacrum. So the maternal sacrum, their head was more held up by lots of fluffy material and and by material, I mean, bodily tissues, and also held up by amniotic fluid right? So they might not have had a lot of pressure on the back of their head or even on their foreheads if they were late engaged, right? So maybe they only got engaged into the maternal pelvis during labor. That plays a big role because these babies, they might not have as hard of a time with feeding as the babies who were engaged for maybe a month or two beforehand. Okay, so that is positioning. That's a big one. But that's the positioning of the baby in utero and how they develop and how they're able to move. So the second thing is the movements in labor for both maternal and baby. And so babies know how to get born. They instinctively know how to navigate their way through the birth canal in order to get born. There are these primitive reflexes in the baby that when certain areas of their body is stimulated, they rotate either their head, their shoulders, their hips in order to twist and turn to navigate through the birth canal. So maternal pelvis also shifts, right, with their swaying and their moving and their bending and their sitting on the toilet and their lunging or they're rolling back and forth on a ball. All of this allows that baby to get into a better rotational position. So if this baby was in a great position, oh, they're going to have a fine time. This is going to be a very textbook birth. If you can, look up textbook birth, and that is what is going to happen. So maybe I'll have a podcast episode on textbook birth. That'd be great, right? Just shoot me a DM in Instagram and say textbook birth, please. 
(laughs) And uh, I'll know if you want one of those. But if a baby is in a poor position, let's say they are in occiput posterior, well, their head is now stuck under the maternal pubic bone and they can't rotate their head. They're going to have a really hard time doing all of these rotations that they need to do in order to come out. And then they're going to need more force in order to come out because they're really stuck, right? They're really, they're jammed under there. Some occiput posterior babies or sunny side up babies, they shoot out right? Sometimes they just, their cranial bones shift in a way that they are able to come out, but that also creates cranial nerve impingement. So no bueno for the babies who want to come out and feed well. Also no bueno for the people who want to feed their babies with their body. And now this baby is clamping down hard because they have nerve impingement that is presenting as hypertonic muscles. That's not lovely. That is not a nice time for people. I can assure you that. (laughs) And when these babies have the ability to move and to rotate their head side to side and tuck their chin, they can find their way through the birth canal. But if they don't, let's say they've got a nuchal hand, it's tucked under their chin, or they've got a nuchal cord or around their neck, let's say five times. This baby's not going to be able to flex their head. They're not going to be able to get their chin to chest in order to make their head the smallest possible size in order to get through the birth canal. And they're not going to be able to rotate left and right, full rotation. They need to be able to rotate their heads to the left and to the right completely 90 degrees in order to get through the birth canal. But with a nuchal hand and a nuchal cord, that's going to limit their ability. That's going to slow things down. That's going to keep the cervix from dilating. That brings me to the third thing, obstetrical interventions. The babes who are born at home who also have all of these issues with the rotation and and lots of forces and lots of pushing and long pushing phases, they are going to have these same issues. They're going to have similar issues, maybe not the same, but they're going to have similar issues to the babes who experience obstetrical interventions. Maybe not as much but similar. So if a person chooses to birth at the hospital and their baby is in a poor position and they have a failure to progress, right? Now someone's going to come in and say, hey, you've been here a long time and you're only two centimeters dilated. And by a long time, I mean like they've been there for 32 hours. This person who is trying to give birth, doing their best to give birth, They are either incredibly stressed out or exhausted. And with that, you know, especially if they haven't had an epidural all this time, they're likely going to be recommended an epidural. If not, they did for, they had already had one for many of those 36 hours. (laughs) And with that epidural, it really slows down contractions. Not only that, but it restricts the movement of the maternal body. So they're not able to do those instinctive movements and dance with their baby in order for the baby to rotate their head to get out. So that's going to slow things down. Now I have seen it or heard of it where the epidural actually allows the maternal pelvic floor to relax and then it lets the baby descend and the baby is born in an hour. That's wonderful. I think that's fabulous news. I'm absolutely not pooping on epidurals. I'm just saying that it can restrict movement and slow contractions and make it harder for, you know, these two humans to be dancing their way through labor. 
And if they're at the hospital, because they're they have this label failure to progress, a lot of times they're going to be prescribed Pitocin or oxytocin. In Canada, they call it oxytocin at the hospitals, but it's absolutely Pitocin. Pitocin is the synthetic form of oxytocin, meaning it is the fake form of oxytocin. It is not real oxytocin. We produce that in our brains in the pituitary gland. So this Pitocin is used to induce labor, but it also augments contractions, right? So it strengthens them. And it can increase the force of a contraction from 30 pounds of pressure, which is a natural pounds of pressure, up to 60 pounds of pressure per contraction. Could you imagine being upside down in a poor position? Maybe your head is tilted off to one side. So that's called asynclitic. And now someone's putting 60 pounds of pressure on you for 90 seconds or 50, 60 seconds, however long this contraction is. I couldn't, I can imagine that. No wonder this baby's coming out and they're in pain, <laughs> floppy and don't know how to feed properly. It's no wonder. And a lot of times these failure co- to progress is because the baby is in a poor position. So they're now being pushed further into the poor position, causing increased fascial contractions because they need the, the fascia in their body has to contract to guard the areas that are already in pain. So these babies are very much in pain when they're being born. My heart is hurting. For anyone who's listening, who has had a labor that sounds like this, I am with you. I hear you. I understand. And I'm sorry that you experienced that. And I'm sorry that your baby experienced that. And if you're going to use craniosacotherapy on your baby, first and foremost, share love (laughs) Love is very healing and find a practitioner who loves your baby, who holds your baby like they love them. Okay. These babies need to be touched and held with loving hands, especially when it comes to a practitioner, a healthcare practitioner. Oh, my heart. I I haven't even finished the last part because I am so taken over by emotion right now. (laughs) And so this is probably one of the harder parts of being a craniopsychotherapist is that you do have to hear these stories and you do have to feel the pain that the baby has experienced and that the parent has experienced. I understand that it's their journey and I wish them well. And I do everything I can in order to help them. Let's get back to the podcast. (laughs) So these babies who are born or trying to be born and they're stuck, sometimes they need tools to assist the delivery right? So they might need forceps or a vacuum, or they're taken into a C-section and they're pulled out the other way after all that hard work. (sighs) I'm going to take a deep breath here (sighs) and just feel love for all these babes and humans. So as you can imagine, this can be held as restrictive fascial tension within a baby's spine That can cause poor digestion. It can be held within the baby's neck, which can cause trouble with the suck-swallow-breathe pattern. This can cause restrictions within the face and the cranium that can cause latching issues and a chompy latch. And this can also cause a baby to just fully be really uncomfortable in their body. And that's where craniosacral comes in. We help them to release this tension. We help them to process the events of their birth. 
and we help them to release it from their bodies so they don't have to carry it with them for the rest of their lives. Because guaranteed, if you haven't had craniosacotherapy yourself, you're still holding on to your birth. I am. Even though I've I've had many craniosacral sessions, I know I still have things from my own birth that I'm holding on to. So the fact that we're able to see babies within days or weeks or months of their birth, that's amazing. These babies don't have to carry that with them for the rest of their lives. How beautiful is that? Oh my goodness. So just to tie it all in here, the positioning of the baby in utero has a big outcome of delivery, right? It plays a huge role in how a baby is easily or not so easily born. And being able to move greatly improves birth outcome. So being able to move in the baby's case or in the maternal pelvis case, okay? And then obstetrical interventions, they play a role in how a baby feeds, sleeps, and feels in their body. Sometimes babies who had a vaginal birth without intervention can also have a lot of trouble with feeding, sleeping, and feeling uncomfortable in their body. But with the obstetrical interventions, it's just increased just a little bit more. So there you have it, folks. That is birth on the infant body. It's a longer session than I usually do, but I hope you enjoyed it. I know I have, and I know I talk about this all the time, and I think about it all the time. So I wish you a very lovely day, and I'll see you in the next episode. Hey, before you go, my Craniosacral Foundation's virtual-only course is open for enrollment. That's right. You can learn craniosacral from your very own home. Whether you're a health professional working in the perinatal world, a manual therapist looking to expand your current practice to include craniosacral, or helping babies and families is your passion, there's something in this course for you. You can significantly change the lives of the people in your community. And when you register, you'll have immediate access to the course materials so you can get learning right away with three three-hour live virtual classes to help guide you through the curriculum and an online community of fellow classmates and alumni, this program is here to support you every step of the way. Registration closes soon, so follow the link in the show notes, and I look forward to seeing you in class. 